Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Grzbowski, and this is a Blind Entrepreneurship Bonus Episode brought to you by Penji, a podcast that helps entrepreneurs and business professionals execute their vision to profitability. This week is all about advertising hacks for growth. This was a originally a Penji Masterclass that was recorded live a few weeks ago uh, with three special guests, and I'll let the introductions speak for themselves. They're in the very beginning of this episode, but it was a great conversation that led to a few really in-depth strategies about how to perform better in your advertising. Uh, so if you're like I'm sure a large majority of the people out there that are struggling with advertising and just are simply not able to understand uh, or even just not being able to perform the way that they want to, I think this is going to be a great episode for you. So uh, go out and just enjoy it and listen to it. It's about 40-ish minutes or so, but um, hope you liked it as much as we did. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on this live Penji Masterclass. Today's topic of conversation is advertising hacks for growth. And we have three incredibly awesome panelists here. And I want to be able to give each and every single person uh, time in order to introduce themselves. So uh, if you guys can just give us a one to two minute pitch. Asriel, I know you got yours down pat to a science. So we'll, we'll end with you. Um, but whoever wants to go first, Justin, actually, Justin, if you want to go first, just give a brief explanation as to who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah, uh, Justin Christensen. I'm the co-founder and president of a company called Conversion Fanatics. Uh, we do full service um, conversion rate optimization for, you know, growing brands all the way up into Fortune 500. I'm also the number one best-selling author of a book called Conversion Fanatic, How to Double Your Customer Sales and Profits with A-B Testing. So basically, I'm the user experience, user interface, conversions guy. So I make the traffic more effective on site, help companies better understand what their visitors are doing, what they like, what they dislike, where they're falling off in the process, and then we test to fix it. Okay, so I'll go. Um, hi, I'm Yael Bendahan. I'm a, a digital marketing visibility strategist. So I help business owners um, create and implement marketing strategies based on their, uh, their themselves, their audience, their personality, um, and kind of help them create a cohesive strategy and help them show up where they need to be showing up. And, you know, you know, like, you know, everyone knows that there are so many possible options for marketing yourself online nowadays. I mean, like people think you need to do all the things. So I help them not do all the things and figure out where they need to be putting in their efforts that their marketing is more effective. Very cool. I am Azrael Ratz. They call me the king of Facebook ads. I've been doing Facebook ads since 2012. I have worked with big, small, medium, and everything in between brands to help them get the largest return possible on their Facebook ad spend. And that's actually a perfect segue into the very first question. And I'm going to ask uh, every single person here to have their own unique answer. But Azrael, I want to start with you just because you, you hit the the, the perfect segue, what would you say is the one thing that business owners are missing out when it comes to online advertising? So I think that people think if they're reaching a person on one platform, they don't have to talk to them on another platform. So if you already have an email list, then a lot of businesses say, well, why should I be spending my money to reach those people again on Facebook? Or if people are already coming to my website, why should I be paying for them to see my stuff on Facebook? And the answer is because even though they are on other platforms, the likelihood of them seeing you on those other platforms are really low. Let's say you're the greatest email marketer in history, you have a 40% open rate. That means that 60% of the people on your email list didn't even know you sent an email today. So you wanna make sure that you're reaching your warm audiences first because those people might have not even seen the offer that you announced last week in your email. And if you're able to spend a couple of dollars, right? How much are you gonna spend? A thousand dollars to reach everyone on your email list if it's this huge one million person email list. Those are the first people you should be talking to because that will be every day the largest bang for your buck on Facebook. Very cool. Yo, how about yourself? What would you say is the one thing business owners are, are simply just missing out on when it comes to online advertising? For me? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, um, I think a lot of people 
think that it's okay. You know, some people come to me, they're like, I need a Facebook ad. And I'm like, okay, great. So like, what do you want to do? And they don't realize that there are a lot of stages um, in Facebook ads themselves in order to get to the point of converting people to a sale, right? So they're like, oh, if, can I just throw up an ad and tell people to buy a thing? You know, like, isn't it just like an ad in a newspaper? And it, and it really, really isn't, right? Because we need so many touch points before, a lot of times before people actually get to the point of sale. Um, and people need to realize that, you know, just like we have sales funnels on landing pages, we have sales funnels through emails. You also have sales funnels with like, with Facebook ads too. And, and, and pretty much any kind of advertising you're doing, right? Because you have to lead people through a process. And um, I think a lot of people miss that process and they end up spending a lot of money on cold audiences. Like, like as we all said, right? People forget a little bit about the warm audiences because they figure they already kind of have them in the bag, but um, they have to also work on growing the warm audiences on different platforms. And I think it's really important now more than ever to have a diversified traffic strategy because as we know, I mean, Facebook, Insta, I mean, Facebook is owning Instagram, it owns WhatsApp, um, you know, and then there's Google, there are these very big conglomerates that can change things at any time. And so I think it's important for people to remember that like to have that diversified strategy and to continue bringing cold people in and warming them up before they jump on them and say, hey, buy my thing. So I think that's something really important to remember. Justin, how about yourself? Well, I think they touched on quite a bit of it, but I think it's coming down to the story that you're telling because we're in a very social environment and it doesn't work like it did five, six years ago where you just beat it over the head and say, hey, buy my stuff. There's a thousand different touch points and people might not be ready to buy today, but they might be ready to buy in 30 days. So I see a lot of people kind of dropping the ball and they race to the discount. They race to just get that customer today instead of maybe answering those questions that those you know, visitors might have before they move on to the next step. Maybe they just not sure about the return policy or maybe they have some unanswered questions that they're not sure the product can do or you know, they just need a little bit more handholding before they move on to that next step and the exchange of money and actually purchase something. So I think they, uh, the, to boil that down, I guess people are just impatient that they don't wait for a long enough buying cycle where, you know, it might be 30 or 45 days for an actual, even a B2C customer, um, where it used to be kind of a lot shorter than that a handful of years ago. So it's to cut through the noise, build and nurture that relationship because people buy from people they know, like, and trust. So you got to build that relationship, build the credibility with the brand uh, and the product and uh, push them over to the edge. The word touch points was already uh, mentioned before, but Justin, I want to um, start with, with the idea of touch points because I've, there's conflicting ideas and I'm sure each and every one of you have your own secret sauce that I, I think that would be a great way to explain. But when it comes to touch points, I think of um, things as uh, content, educational content, value, value. I mean, I know Gary Vaynerchuk said it, the jab, 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 right hook type of mentality. Um, what would you say are really good touch points when it comes to advertising? And this just doesn't, this conversation doesn't necessarily mean just Facebook ads. It could be advertisements in general. Um, so what would you say are some really good touch points for and examples that you use for your clients that we could take with us for our businesses today? Yeah, I mean, you go where the customers are at. So we even see it here for conversion fanatics is we get people like we might sponsor an event which is a touch point. And then the next week they hear me on a podcast or they get an outbound message from us and then they see our ads because they interacted with something. And we get comments all the time saying, my God, you guys are everywhere. Well, that's on purpose because we're strategically placing advertisements where they are at online. So they're constantly top of mind specifically to what you know, they were looking for initially, and then they see us at an event. And it's just that frequency at which they see you brings it to the top of mind. And then they're like, you know, six months later, they're like, oh man, I, who is that company again? And boom, there's an ad for them to see us, you know, like um, mentioned a little bit ago about email, you know, that's just one of the vehicles. But mm -hmm. if you're retargeting those people that are on your email list and then you segment them out when they're actually visited a certain landing page on your site and they move um, on to the next step. So it's just really being everywhere that 
your customers or, or potential customers are at, and that doesn't limit you to Facebook. It doesn't limit you to, you know, necessarily Google. There's all sorts of other sites out there that, you know, are getting remnant traffic and just being strategic about where you're placing those ads and following your visitors around to be at the top of mind. Azra, how about yourself? Touch points. Um, could you speak, uh, expand on that a little bit? Well, I first want to say that I really appreciate that Justin went out of his way to wear his answer to the last question on his t-shirt. Yeah. I'm just curious huh. if he's planning to be changing his shirt at the end of each question to make sure that he's already pre-answering it on his shirt. Coincidence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I happen to think that people kind of overthink what has to be a touch point. Uh, I think a really good example of this is HubSpot, uh, if, um, a while back, let's say 2013, 14, their blog was really on point to the idea of the, 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 the rule of seven, which is that you want to see, you want your brand to be seen approximately seven times before the person trusts you enough to be willing to take out their credit card. So what HubSpot's blog did, which I think was genius, is that while you were reading the blog, which could have been talking about anything, uh, they were trying to pitch you to sign up to whatever ebook they, they were pushing that month. And what they did was they had a sidebar with that ebook. And then as you were reading, the article itself would mention the ebook and have a link in it. And then as you got farther down, there was a banner in the middle of the, of the page. And then once you got to you know, three fourths of the page, there was a pop-up that mentioned that, that ebook. So while you're reading the blog post and it's, you know, they're spending a lot of time making these really, this really great content within that blog post mentioned this ebook four or five times. So before you ever left the single touch point, you've already been told about the next stage four times. And this thing can happen on a podcast. You know, you could be talking about whatever it is. And then, oh, by the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but I have this event coming up in a few weeks. You might want to check out, you know, here's the link to the website. And then you, you move on to the next topic. And then there's an ad five minutes later into the podcast. So within each touch point where a person, you know, watches a video on Facebook or reads a blog post or listens to a podcast or whatever they're doing, throughout there, you're mentioning, what's the next thing I want you to do? And as long as there's something else to do and you tell them that thing three or four times in that you know, at that stage, at that touch point, they will then move to the next part of your funnel. So really what you want to be thinking about is every time you talk to them, how can you move them just one stage farther by showing them what it is you want to do? Click this button, watch this thing, sign up to this webinar. By giving them the next step, they, it will, they'll move naturally to that next touch point. You said that, uh, I don't want to hit one more thing because you said that HubSpot did this in 2013 and you thought it was genius. It's now 2019. Do you think it's still just as genius well, as it was in 2013? I think, it's, I think it's more genius. I just was recently on the blog because I was talking about this exact thing and they didn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious why they didn't do it, but they still had the same pop-up on the sidebar, but they weren't as good as you know fitting the blog post into that. Like they didn't weave in everything. Um, but they still had these banners all across with that, the push to the, the ebook. Yeah. Yeah. How about yourself? What would you say? Uh, would you like to add on to all, to what, uh, Justin and Ezreal said? Yeah. So I think also, I think people are kind of, sometimes they're scared. They're almost scared to sell. They're like, you know, because now that, now that, um, you know, relationship-based marketing is becoming much more popular. Uh, now people are like, well, I don't want to be like all those spammy, whatever, those spammy marketers, those spammy companies, you know, and selling and selling and selling. But I think what a lot of people need to realize is that um, selling is selling is helping people, right? So like when you, you know, I try to never like, I don't post anything without like a call to action. And it doesn't matter if the call to action is, you know, is get something else or, or just comment or let me know, right? But like, like Israel said, it's kind of moving, you know, giving people the chance to do a thing, to take an action, because it's, it's like kind of all those micro commitments that they're taking every time they engage with you, every time they answer a question, every time they even like your things, then that is, that's a little closer to liking you and, and you know, that no like and trust factor. Um, and so I think people should not be afraid to be selling, you know, consistently, um, whether it is emailing your list or whether it's going on Facebook live and saying, Hey, I've got this really cool, you know, this really cool worksheet for you or this, or this, 
this upgrade or, you know, or just, you know, set up a call, set up a 15 minute call with me, you know, you're offering them the next step because you can help them. And I think that that is something that is so important to keep top of mind and should keep people from kind of having that fear of being spammy. You know, you're only spammy if you're spammy. If you're saying, whoa, look at me, I'm so awesome, buy my stuff, that's spammy. If you're saying, hey, here's something to help you and here's something else that can help you too, then like that is that is just being of service. And um, and that it actually reminds me of this really, that really funny, this really funny video that was going around like like selling a service and service is selling. It was like, it was funny, but it's it's really true. It, it's And people need to keep that top of mind when they are creating anything, when they're creating content, when they're even creating sales pages or or ads or emails or videos. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I really like that. Cause like touch points, you can have touch points even within the touch points, like Israel said. I'd like to hear more about sales funnels because sales funnels is something that I personally believe a lot of businesses are struggling with because they don't simply understand the, I guess the right way. There's so many right ways. Um, if you were a B2B, uh, if, let's do B2B because I think a large majority of the audience of, of people that are, are listening are actually B2B. So if you could give like um, maybe a, a cookie cutter or at least a beginner's formula of like a sales funnel, what would you say are some elements that need to be in there? Yeah. Okay. So would you say me? Yep. 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 Okay. So would you say as, as a service provider or as a, or as a info product seller? Let's just go service because I think a lot of people that listen are SaaS related. So, okay, fine. So yeah. So with, so depending on SaaS or service or whatever it is you're doing, um, I find one thing that really works very well is a case study funnel. So, you know, you create a case study for something you've done. If you, especially if you are very, very like niche down into a certain audience, like chiropractors or coaches or dentists or whatever. And you're like, Hey, you know, find out, you know, check out how I, whatever generated 500 leads in one month for this, this dentist, this small town dentist or whatever that is. Right. So now you're creating that option that for them to actually see, learn about you, see what you did, actually see your results. And then on the thank you page, like, Hey, book a call with me. That is like the, probably the most simplest way to create a sales service provider funnel. Um, for, for if someone has like direct, you know, one-to-one -one services. Um, for SaaS, a really, a really great way, I think that a lot of people are doing this now is, is doing a trial period, right? So, mm. you know, you give them your credit card, um, you give them that. It's almost like, it's almost like a guarantee, right? Because people are like, well, I don't know if I like this. I want to, I want to try it out first and see. So, um, so when it comes to SaaS, I think that is a really, really good tactic because it gives people a chance to try it out. They're not paying right away. They're just giving you their credit card, but then they get it free for seven days or 14 days or whatever. And then at that point you can, you know, or the, the, the smartest thing I've ever seen is they give you like the pro version or like, Hey, try out a pro version or a really awesome, like best, best version for seven days. And then, you know, if you actually are using it and liking it, then once it comes to the end of that seven days or 14 days, it might be a little harder for you to kind of go back to like the basic where you're not able to utilize all the functions. So um, there are a lot of options for different sales funnels, but the point is, the point of a sales funnel is essentially to move people through a journey without them getting distracted because we know that it's a very distracting world nowadays. Um, there's so much screaming at us from all directions. And so the idea of a funnel is that unlike a website where you have different options of like, hey, check out about us and check out all our products and check out all our services and, you know, go to our blog, um, which it, it has its place too. A sales funnel is saying, here, take this action. And then do you want to take this action? Yes or no? If yes, you're going on to the next step and you're going on to the next step. And, um, and that kind of really helps focus your audience in, 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 in a way that a website does not do. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's essentially what a sales funnel is. And like I said, it could be anything. It could be a series of videos, um, in, on Facebook ads, it could be a series of emails that you're sending to your audience. It could be a series of blog posts actually. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of the sales funnel is a concept, not an actual thing because it could be anything. Ezra, you, you, so we have a, a good foundation where we have like an ebook and you can either agree or disagree whether you, you believe that the, a testimonial or giving away something for free is the right fit. But now let's just say that they, they want that thing. Uh, let's go to the next step, right? The next step is, is what would you recommend? Well, I mean, I, I think I'd actually take a different approach when creating a sales funnel because you mentioned like, what's the cookie cutter thing that I would do. So the first thing I do with every single client on a sales funnel is take a step back and say, 
how have you gotten your previous clients before you ever run a sales ad? Like what was the process that your, your favorite hundred clients used to actually buy? So this actually happened with a client about a year ago where I asked them how, like you're selling this product. It was a kid's toy for $300. How were people buying this product? So they said, well, the first thing that happened was we have this really great article on TechCrunch. So they'd read the article on TechCrunch. And then from there, they would want to go read reviews on Amazon. So they would leave the TechCrunch page. They go to Amazon. They'd read the, the testimonials or whatever it was, the reviews. And then they would go to Facebook and say, hey, did anyone buy this product for their kid? What did their kid think about it? Did they actually use it? You know, for $300, it's a big whatever. And they, they would look for friends that had purchased the product. And then finally, the last stage was they would share the actual product on Facebook and tag their spouse and say, hey, let's buy this for Jimmy's birthday or let's buy this for, you know, Timothy or Tina or whatever for Christmas, right? And so that's, that was the sales funnel. That was the existing organic sales funnel. Step one, read the TechCrunch article. Step two, read a review on Amazon. Step three, find out if any of their friends had the product. And step four, share it with their spouse and plan to buy it for a birthday or a holiday coming up. Yeah. So what we did was we replicated that exact thing. In fact, I think I told you this in your last ebook. Didn't, isn't this the thing I wrote I in your so. ebook? Yeah. Is I the thing so. I said in your ebook. Um, it's still amazing. Um, so, so basically what we did was we replicated each of these steps with ads. What we, we took a, a review from Amazon and used that as the language of the ad on Facebook. And then we sent people to the TechCrunch article using Snipply, which allowed us to retarget all the, video, the, the website visitors, plus have a call to action button on the bottom. That call to action button brought them to the homepage of the website and we ran the ads just to see if anything would happen, targeting totally cold traffic. And what ended up happening was we found that people would watch the video on Facebook, read the Amazon article, get to the TechCrunch article, visit the homepage and add the product to cart. The total cost for all of those stages was $2.53 per new totally cold user. We were gaining a person all of these stages for $2.52. And then we saw that we had, you know, hundreds of shares, people sharing the ad, which never, no, who shares ads? People sharing the ad and tagging their spouse and saying, hey, let's buy this for John's birthday. And so we, we were literally replicating the existing organic sales funnel using a single ad hmm. because we knew what people were already doing and we were allowing them to do that in the easiest way possible. Show them the Amazon ad straight, you know, straight in the beginning, send them to the TechCrunch article to read it, give them a step, a state, step two to actually come to the website, visit, you know, read more about it, see more testimonials and have the opportunity to go and share that with their spouse to, to actually plan to buy the product. So by, by looking at what your sales process already is, we could then apply that to anything, to your email, allow your email series to do exactly that. Day one, send the TechCrunch article. Day two, the Amazon reviews. Day three, you know, you know have like a testimonial of, of, of a friendly face opening the product or having their kids open the product. That's exactly what you want to do. Recreate what's already working and have that be the sales funnel. Interesting. Justin, how about yourself? We're talking about sales funnels and uh, we have a pretty good foundation figuring out what works or what has already worked. Downloading uh, potential content in order for them to go through a, a process of a phone call or, or, or what have you. Um, what would you say is a, a, a good approach to a sales funnel online? Um, usually I look for building that value and asking for a micro commitment up front. They pretty much in their comments a minute ago, they just pretty much touched on it, but I kind of go by the guise of figuring out where the visitors are at, where they're falling off in that process and what can we do to lead them by the hand to the next step and next goal that we want achieved. And I look at it from a micro commitment level. Did they add that product to cart? Um, did they engage with that article? Did they click on the banner that we're looking for and then step them through the progression? And I think so many times people think, 
a sales funnel is, you know, in the traditional sense, you know, that they, you know, get a free ebook, they go to a video presentation, then they're followed up with emails and they buy the product and then they go to upsell one and upsell two and upsell three on a traditional direct response style. And I think the game has changed a little bit there. So I just look at it from the journey that the visitors are taking, which Israel said it, that, you know, just go where the visitors are at. And so many times companies fail to see specifically where their visitors are falling off or how they're engaging or the little elements that are being overlooked on these key questions to get them through to that next step. We've had clients that come to us and say, oh, I don't send any products to my, I don't send any traffic to my homepage because that's kind of irrelevant. And you look and the majority of their visitors, it's usually the second or third most traffic page on their website. And it probably converts at, you know, 2x of what their other page does because it has more information. It's helping educate the visitors. It's helping build that trust in the process and then answering questions throughout that step. You know, we had a client not too long ago that we ran a test because we ran an exit poll and the visitors were wondering, you know, I'm not sure which scent to choose. And I know we're talking B2B, but I'm going to go in the e-commerce uh, direction, but they were, I'm not sure which scent to choose. They just had questions and they were getting hung up on that particular process and not taking that next step or that micro commitment to add that product to cart. But that information was on the page. It just wasn't prominent. So we just moved it up to where they actually made the selection, answered that question, and it increased you know, sales conversions 23% because we're just helping them get over that hurdle, educating them, answering the questions, and getting those micro commitments to step through to the next step. I wanna expand on, if you could expand on that a little bit more. When you say micro, micro commitments, do you mm -hmm. mean like a, a actual uh, purchase of say a dollar or under seven, whatever? Um, no, micro commitment could be anything from the click through rate on your ad. Okay, um, got it. it. Could be, did they engage with the landing page once they got there? What did they engage with? Did they take the, the actual desired action that we wanted them to take, such as, you know, click here to learn more um, and add to cart, um, continue to check out? Those are all little micro commitments. Yeah. Um, you can break it down as far as filling out a form. You know, maybe you have a long form lead generation funnel. So, you know, the guy who wrote the foreword to my book, Ryan Levesque, in his book, Ask, said the same thing. Just ask those small micro commitments such as, are you a man or a woman? Um, you know, what's your age breakdown? Give them simple softball questions that get them engaged in that process. You know, we've seen... 1100% improvement in form submissions just by breaking the questions out. Instead of one long form that has 20 fields, we just ask one question at a time, make it quiz style, and just give them those micro commitments and step through. Um, we did it for a finance company that they were asking a bunch of questions up front to apply for financing, and we just broke it out. What's your zip code is the first question. Just get them engaged in that process, make it simple, and then by the time they're into that process further, it's hard to go back or it's hard to bail on that at yeah. a higher rate than what normally normal people would do. And I've, I've personally never heard of that strategy before. And so if it's okay, I just want to ask one more mm -hmm. follow-up question to that. Um, would you put a micro transact, uh, micro, what were you calling it? Micro commitment. commitment, a micro commitment within like say a pricing page and would it be a pop-up or would it be like, a button that uh, that's near the add to cart. Like, I guess, where would you where would you place that? Are you talking like a SaaS page, like a just? A uh, it could be that? it could be uh, anywhere. I, I guess the example that you were given when it comes to the to the perfume, you asked the question whether it's, if they're male or female. Um, like, where 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 was that coming up on the on the page? On the oh, website? that's that form is completely different. So um, that's like a lead generation form, and okay, that, that example of that is finance. Um, is they were just asking for a bunch of questions, zip code being one of them, but all they cared about was, can we help these people in that certain zip code? Got it. Um, they were limited to a geographic location. So we just asked for zip code first. That was the only thing on the page. And believe it or not, redesigning that page and just asking for the that increased their form submissions by like 2,800%. Hmm. Like it was something just astronomical because 
we were just, again, holding those visitors by the hand and getting them engaged in that process, leading them down to the next step. And that micro commitment could be anywhere. It could be on an add to cart page, on a product detail page. It could be, you know, giving them three options on a SaaS product, you know, pricing discount, but leading them to where you want them to go more. Do you want them to buy the free, sign up for a free account? Do you want them to buy, you know, you kind of have your anchor pricing in there and we can go down that rabbit hole all day long, but um, you give them the options, but you point them to the direction and kind of lean them towards where you want them to go, but making it as simple as possible and removing the distractions. And that's really what a sales funnel is. It's just a very linear path to where you want the visitors to go. You don't want them, you know, companies will come in and it's like, oh, download my white paper, sign up for my webinar, get my ebook, um, you know, read more about us. And they're just pulling them and, you know, sign up for my trial, get a demo. Um, they're just pulling them in so many different directions. And we've tested pulling out um, other elements. We had a very high profile SaaS company that we worked with and they would have sign up to get a live demo or get a free trial, contact us, um, watch the replay of the demo. And they were just pulling them in five different directions instead of just saying, hey, here's our demo, sign up for it. And then pushing them and building the value and trust in that one particular call to action or that one particular um, action that we wanted them to take, we removed those elements and saw like a 25% increase in the form submissions and the demo requests because we were just not distracting them and we we're keeping it very linear because you know we don't need any more noise in the marketplace these days. Absolutely. Azrael, I, I want to um, talk a little bit more about A-B testing or A-B-C, D-E-F-G, H-Y-Z, whatever. Um, A-X testing, it's called, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, it's incredibly difficult to, in my opinion, to, to track all the A-B testing because what I found on Facebook ads is one script will work the beginning of the month then you try to use it the next month, that same exact script to the same exact audience, and you're getting a completely different set of statistics and data. Um, what are some good approaches or best practices that you've seen to, to kind of have to, to do uh, some ABC testing? Yeah, so the first thing you wanna do is test one thing at a time, because if you're testing 100 things, you don't know what actually works. Mm. So. The first thing I want to do is nail down my audience, right? Because if I don't know who I can target, then I don't, it doesn't matter how great my ad is. If I'm talking to the wrong people, then it likely won't work. So the first thing I want to do, we're talking about on, on Facebook ads is create multiple ad sets, each with their own targeted audiences. And here, what I do is I, depending on the size of the audiences, I'll keep some together and some in their own ad sets. So, for warm audiences, I likely want to keep my website visitors and my email subscribers and my Facebook page likes, all of them separate, just to see which angle is the best one to target, the you know, lowest cost for impression, whatever that might be uh, for those people. For interest groups, what I want to do is I want to bundle them by group. So I might say, um, let's say we're trying to target entrepreneurs or marketers, right? So one way to, to target those people is by the podcast they listen to. But what about influencers they follow or books they read, magazines that they you know, subscribe to? Uh, th those are totally different ways of talking to them. So what I'll do is I'll create a bunch of group names and then I'll come up with a bunch of interests that fit into that group. Mm. And by separating each of those into separate ad sets, what I'll learn is, oh, influencers, those are the types that work or you know, SaaS products they use, those are, you know, those are the targetings that work. So step one is come up with, let's say a dozen ad sets, each of them being one interest group and just bundle together uh, interests. Test just a few, like one or two ads to start to each of these groups and then just take the best performing ad and run the single ad to everyone. And by running one single ad to everyone, you'll actually be able to see on the ad set level, 
which people, you know, click for the lowest, you know, got to stage three in the funnel for the cheapest or converted at the highest rate, all of that stuff. You get all of that data by running one ad to a dozen different audiences. And then by the time you're done with this process, you actually walk away with, well, here's my six best performing interest groups. Now I know these are the types of groups that work. Now I could go start playing around with testing my, you know, call to action buttons or trying different creative on my ads or changing the video to a slideshow or whatever these things that I'm doing after. I want to do it in a sequential order. I want to figure out what works at the highest level first, you know, audiences, then move to create like uh, the image or video, then move to creative, then move to the landing page, then move to the, you know, uh, the, the form that they're filling out by going sequentially, actually knowing what is working, what do I, what can I bank on to work later? Then I could walk away with data that's actually helpful and constantly be improving throughout the process. Very cool. Yeah. How about yourself? When we're talking uh, about split testing, you came up with a couple of approaches where uh, in the original uh, beginning of the conversation, um, but I'd like to hear how you're split testing to see how things work and don't work. Is that for me? Oh, no. for, for you. For me, hi. Um, yeah, so I mean, definitely what Israel said is completely true about split testing one thing at a time. Um, a lot of times I like to do a kind of like a matrix method. So often I'm testing, when I'm testing ads, like you said, after you get to the point where you know exactly who you're targeting, um, and I usually like to start, if people have it, I like to start with lookalike audiences of their best types of audiences. So obviously people who purchased are the best kind of audience to create a lookalike out of. Um, but email subscribers are also very good. And it kind of like goes up like in, um, you know, from like the hottest audiences to the purchasers to like the cooler ones, which are people who engage in their page or engage with their, with their stuff. That's a little bit, that's a little bit cooler depending on, you know, on what, on what they engaged on. But um, once you know, like I said, once, once you know what you're doing, a lot of times I'll do when I'm testing ads, I'll, I'll do like, you know, copy one, you know, and image one, and then copy one and image two, and then copy one, and copy two image. And I kind of do like the kind of matrix. So I, I know that each thing has two, like there's copy headline and image. Those are the three type of things that tend to work best or whatever image, whatever it is creative, if it's video or image or carousel. Um, and then that way, like you said, you can really, really very easily see um, what's going on. I think people make this mistake as well because with email marketing um, and even on sales funnel pages themselves, um, there are a lot of options for split testing and people will say, okay, so I'll write two different emails and I'll write two different subject lines and I'll send, you know, one email with this one and one email with that one. And, and the point is you, you still don't really know what worked better because for all you know, subject line A with email B would have converted more because more people would have opened it and then more people would have clicked through. <laughs> but because you tried to just create like a, too many different things at the same time, then like, like you said, you're not going to get the full picture um, and, and be able to actually optimize it better. Um, when it comes to split testing different, I also like to split test different objectives as well. And like, I'm also talking Facebook ads, but um, I found some really, really interesting things that happen, especially when um, in retargeting. So um, one funny thing that happened uh, relatively recently with a client was that we were retargeting people who had, who had watched their videos um, or who had already seen their conversion ads, but they hadn't yet downloaded their thing or whatever that was. And mm -hmm. so when you retargeted with conversion ads, those were actually very expensive. Like those conversions were even more expensive really? than the original, you know, cold audience, um, you know, leads. But I found that when I just made a video and retargeted them with video views, those leads were, came out to about the same cost as the original leads, which were pretty good cost thing was around like $2 for like, it was very, very good for the industry. And, um, and it was using a video view objective like that. Th the point was not even to convert, but because um, it was like almost like a softer conversion, it was a smaller audience. Like that gave us, we, we, we just said, okay, we'll try it. We'll see what happens. And it was cool. It worked. I mean, it could have not worked. It could have been terrible. And we would have shut it off within 48 hours if that was true. But um, I think the important thing is also like for sometimes to get creative, you know, like don't always go with, okay, so I, I use this at this stage and this at this stage, because at different stages, different types of types of advertising objectives could work better. And, um, and like I said, the only way to know that is to keep testing. And I think that's something that, um, and I think Israel could probably agree with this too. Sometimes clients are like, okay, so when are we going to start selling all the things? 
right? Like, where's all my money? You know, and you're like, okay, but you know, in order to sell the things and to sell them for the, you know, get you the best return on ad spend, um, we need to know all this stuff first because then once we know what's going on, we can really ramp it up. And like, I've had people say, okay, I just want to break even on this funnel. And I got them a two X return on ad spend because I was like, okay, just wait, just please wait, like give us a few days. And then within that seven day window, people were being retargeted and were converting. And, and people sometimes just, they think because it's such an instant generation now, I think, and because things are so easy, they just think that, oh, like if I'm doing Facebook ads and like I have a thing that works, then everything should just be working, right? But yeah. no, even within Facebook ads or Google ads or YouTube ads or any sort of advertising you're doing, um, it is going to take time to see what's working and patience is still something that people- It is a virtue after all. <laughs> it is a virtue and that has not changed since people probably coined that phrase. Um, so yeah, that's, that's just another point that I think it's really important to remember. Justin, I want to- I really want to ask this question, but I also want to be as respectful as I can to time. Um, so maybe you can intertwine the very last question that I have in addition to, I guess, part of the answer to, to the, the uh, question that I just asked. But I want to make sure that I ask this question because I think that it's so incredibly important. So Justin, I'm going to just give a phrase. I wish I had known x before i lost tens of thousands of dollars and i think that's a, a common thing that we that we do when it comes to advertising there's a lot of testing that goes involved there's a lot of spend and there's a lot of waste so could you give us that thing i wish i had known x i'm going to ask every single person this question uh, before i lost tens and thousands of dollars i wish i would have known x before losing tens of thousands of dollars can I go first? Yeah, you can go ahead because I don't know if I've ever, I've always been pretty methodical with my yeah. spend. It's so. never lost tens of thousands of dollars. No. no. <laughs> I mean, I've made some stupid decisions. If someone the runway, but... tens of thousands of dollars. Now, this is, I also want to be clear that this is about advertising and not like, you know, some random nights of fun. This is strictly about advertising. So, okay. you know, if you have the answer to that, go right yeah. ahead. Um, probably, I wish I would have known that my that I was doing well organically before I lost tens of thousands of dollars on advertising. Interesting. Do you want to give another I, uh, like paragraph to explain why? Sure. Um, because I think that, I think that what people think is sometimes ads um, paid advertising because it's such an, it is so much easier to reach so many more people now. Um, it's kind of like this magic bullet and like you just turn them on and then the money comes rolling in. It's like a cash machine. Everyone's like, Oh, turn on your cash machine, you know, put a dollar in and get $10 back. Um, but I think that people need to realize that, um, paid advertising is only an amplifier of what's already going on. So if what's already going on is working, you have a product that is selling, you have a funnel that's converting, then that's great. Put money behind it and get, let more people see it because it's going to convert. It's going to continue converting at a larger scale. But if it's not converting, then all you're going to be doing is failing on a larger scale because all you're doing is wasting money, sending more people through the thing that isn't working. And, um, and that's why I think it's so important. That is like, when we go back to testing, going back to that, at the beginning, you're also testing where people are dropping off when you're sending them to different places, when you're sending them to different sales funnels or different landing pages, where are people dropping off so that you can fix that on that side too, right? Because it's not just about the ad, it's about what happens after they click through. So um, I think that people really, really need to know, either know that their product is working organically, their funnel is working organically before they start advertising, or they set aside a certain budget for running a certain amount of traffic through a funnel to see if it's converting. And once you know where the drop-offs are, where you need to optimize and you fix it, then you can start putting thousands and thousands of dollars behind it and see it working. I hope that made sense. It makes complete sense. Azrael, what would you, so the question was, I wish I had known X before I lost tens of thousands of dollars. And it doesn't have to be tens of thousands. It could be whatever <laughs> number it is that you want to come up with. Yeah. So I think the answer to this one is social proof how powerful social proof is. Um, one of the things I've noticed recently on Facebook, uh, which I actually kind of touched on earlier, was it's just the power of taking a piece of content that already has a, a ton of engagement on it. So like, I've had this one client that we're banging our heads against the wall, how to get a certain, we're trying to get like crazy cheap, like 40 cent signups, like on scale. Like we're talking about hundreds of thousands of signups for 40 cents. So. How do we get on scale such cheap like conversions all day long? And 
we tried testing hundreds of versions of ads and images and landing pages and videos and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, what ended up working was there was this one post that got like three comments on it. And we took that post and we started running that post, which was a bad picture. The landing page wasn't great, but it had these comments on it. And what happened was when we started pushing that specific post, it got a fifth comment and a 12th comment. And by now this, this single post has like 3000 comments and 200 shares and, and like a crazy amount of social proof on it. And what that allows us to do is actually get, we're not at 40 cents yet yet but we are able to get on scale like i think right now we're like a dollar something a dollar 50 or something per per registration on scale with this not even great ad but it has really great social proof on it so even though it's not the best possible ad i could run because it has you know 300 comments now it's it's working really well so that's in, we started applying that to other clients. So I took this, this post that was six months old. We ran an ad six months ago for a client and it did fine. And today we're running ads and you know, we're trying to figure out what the best way to you know, run whatever, $5 off coupon. Well, we ran this thing in July and it worked. What if we just took that old ad with the old video and an old landing page with the same offer from six months ago and see if it works. And this post already has 300 shares on it before we ever spent a penny pushing it this week. And guess what? We were getting crazy cheap purchases. I think it ended up being like a six times return on the money for this old post from six months ago because it has so much social proof behind it. We don't hear you. Try again. Your sound's not working. The hard part is uh, to to actually get the social proof, which I'm sure is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> we only had three comments to start. That's crazy. That's awesome. Justin, how about yourself? I wish I had known X before wasting tens and thousands of dollars. To test and fail faster. Mm. I guess that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, I've never really lost tens of thousands of dollars. I've never You're really lost like <laughs> <laughs> I know people who have though. I, I do too. Yeah. So, but I mean, it really is. It comes down to so many people think, I guess there's two sides of it too, is having enough patience to see something out, to get enough data to what, to prove whether it's working or not. It's like you said, yo, earlier is they don't have patience. They think that the money's going to magically roll in, but spending strategically, I see a lot of people come in and they say, okay, I've got, $10,000 on my budget. Um, I need to get 3x return on that money, um, make it happen instead of having patience and spending it strategically um, to grow and test and improve and build upon those early on results um, to kind of encompass your other question about testing. But it's, it's really just failing forward, but failing forward in the fact of learning at every step of the process as you move forward. Uh, because I think even in testing and optimization, it's really just figuring out what your visitors care about most and what holds the most weight, and then just building upon those results. And people get distracted and they get frustrated and they might run five or six split tests and they all lose. Um, but what did you learn from that or were you just randomly testing? So you can iterate and build upon those results. It's like, okay, that lost, but we found out that the visitors don't like this or they really care about this. So we need to do more of that. Um, and then just really evolving and changing and adapting things based on data and then spending strategically as you move up the ladder and move to a point of scalability. But if you don't, if you aren't improving and working on evolving your message as our digital landscape changes so dramatically and so fast, um, you're going to end up being very frustrated and probably waste a bunch of money rather than just saying, I got $10,000, let's go spend it on some ads and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, spend it at small increments and then inch your way up and then just, you know, test a lot of things and see what works best. Very cool. Well, I'd like to thank every one of you for joining us on this this live uh, Penji Masterclass. And I just want to be able to 
to give you guys each an opportunity to share with everybody how they can learn more about you, how they can learn more about your journey. And as a quick note, all of the links will be on the blog. It will be in the show notes. So if you do want to contact uh, each and every one of these professionals, by all means, the information will be right there. Justin, uh, you ended with the the last uh, the answer to the last question. So if you can just tell everybody a little bit more about how they can uh, find more in, in uh, about you and your company. Yeah, you can go to conversionfanatics.com. That's conversionfanatics with an S, plural. Um, you can find information about my book over there. You can read a bunch of great case studies, a bunch of great articles on you know digital marketing and optimization. You can also connect with me on social and find all my channels and stuff by going to Clixo, C-L-Y-X-O.com slash Justin Christensen, all one word. And if we wanted to buy that awesome t-shirt. <laughs> this is very limited run. <laughs> that is this a cool t-shirt. I, I can't even take claim for it, but I spoke at a mastermind a couple months ago with a good friend of mine. Um, and gave about a three-hour presentation, and he sent it to me as part of a gift. But um, it's one of his sayings. His good friend of mine, George Bryant, um, genius marketer, uh, probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met when it comes to marketing. But that's kind of his motto: is relationships over algorithms. So, little shout out to George there. But um, very limited run. <laughs> <laughs> Unique. Ezra, how about yourself? How can people learn more about the king of Facebook ads? Well, I don't yet own the URL kingoffacebookads.com, although I should definitely get on that. Yeah. Um, every, um, everywhere on social, Rats Pack Media with a Z, Rats Pack Media, and I am very active on my personal profile on Facebook, uh, Azrael Rats. Uh, attempting to friend me is a thing that could happen. Uh, most likely following on there and uh, love to chat more. I just did a quick search. Uh, King of Facebook ads.com is available. Oh boy, I got to grab it. Grab it now. This. Yeah, grab it now before it goes up to $5,000. Oh, know <laughs> Actually, you know what? I might buy it right now, hold it <laughs> ransom, and flip sell. it to you for a yeah, couple grand. Exactly. <laughs> Talk about true, true entrepreneurship right there. How about yourself? Where can everybody find more about you and your story? Yeah, so um, you can find me on my web website at yaelbendahan.com, just my name.com, and I, you can find me across social at the Yael Bendahan, and on Facebook as well, on my personal profile, I'm also pretty active on there too, so feel free to look me up. Very right, cool. Again, all the information will be in the show notes. Uh, thank you guys so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Have a good rest of your day, everybody. All right. Thanks. Okay.